Beyond the viral clip, I look at the Zomato delivery guy's story and Arnab's take on the recent state elections coming right up. Hi and welcome back to Attention Please podcast. This is episode 20 recorded on Sunday the 16th of December. We have a great show this week because uh, well because India never ceases to provide us with great news. So without waiting any longer, let's get Arnab away from the test match and into our podcast. Hey Arnab, uh, what a century by Kohli. So uh, this is this one for the ages? I'm still I, I it's the Kohli just got out about half an hour ago. After that ridiculous uh, second slip catch, was it? Or third slip? Uh, That catch that was claimed. It was, and I'm, the feelings of, and and, and the deja vu of playing in Australia and uh, catches and dicey catches being claimed and then changing the course of the series. It's just too much. Uh, I'm pretty sure. One thing that I don't understand, and I had just tweeted that Dharmasena is the only way nowadays that Sri Lanka can beat India in cricket. <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> but what I don't understand is how that catch, given that the batsman is given the benefit of the doubt, how Dharmasena, while making the soft signal, can say that he it's out. How did he see uh, Hanscomb? Was it Hanscomb? I don't know who it was. I think it Hanscomb or, Mish, or, or Marsh. Hanscom, One of them Hanscom. that their finger handscope that his that his hand was 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 underneath underneath the ball. It, this was such a dicey decision. I don't think there was anything conclusive on the television, and I think in these cases the way it is, the umpires call. Uh, you you have to overthrow that call with overwhelming evidence. Otherwise, in case that the television replays are inconclusive. I think they have fundamentally changed the prerogative that the batsman gets the benefit of the doubt. I think it has now become that the umpire on the field. As a matter of fact, I read somewhere that batsman getting the benefit of the doubt was never part of the official laws. That's always been a practice, always been something which has been assumed that given that the fact that the batsman doesn't get a lot of chances, if he gets out, he gets out and the fielding team apparently has a lot of chances. That's true. Maybe not in the case of Kohli, but... I just think that the course of the test match just changed. I hope that I'm wrong, um, but I'm I'm still still seething from that. So a uh, little thought, little emotional right now. But I didn't want to discuss cricket today because I wanted to focus on two things and two things only. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about today, and normally we do this this happen and we go over a few things, but today I just want to keep it simple. So just two things that I want to discuss today. One was uh, the 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 incident of the zomato delivery man uh putting his uh, putting his fingers into uh, other people's food and taking a little bit from everyone and then sealing the packet up for those of you who didn't see the video i'll i'll go over what the video is and and what it says about us not so much what it says about us not so much that incident but the reaction to the incident what it says about us and social justice warriors and social media and then I wanted to go over a little bit over the semi-final 2019, uh, the the different elections, the different state elections that happened, and BJP's rather a woeful performance in them, and and why uh, why it might have happened. I try to dig a little bit deeper than 
most of the analysis that I have read, which seem to be fairly, fairly superficial and it's always the, these analysis. The problem with it is everybody has a fixed agenda. So Barkha, that's a, you know, Washington Post article was basically regurgitation of, oh, they're intolerant. They don't do this. They don't do that. They're, and she's just been dying to say that. I mean, she's been saying that it's just that BJP has never been losing. So now she has the opportunity to basically unload that. Of course, it has got nothing to do with these election results. So, but, but we'll come to that uh, in a little while. So the first, the first topic for today, there's the smaller one, which is for those of you who, who you haven't seen the video, there was a video which came out, uh, I think a few days ago, Vikram. If, I, I don't know, you, you've seen the video, right? Oh, sorry, I was on mute. Uh, I was saying since that uh, clip originated in uh, Tamil Nadu, it was in all the family groups uh, for almost a week or 10 days now. Originated in Madurai, apparently. Okay, so no, I, I had no idea it originated in Madurai. I saw it a few days ago when I think it really crossed uh, crossed the threshold of family <laughs> WhatsApp groups to, to virality. So it didn't, it wasn't particularly, wow, I never thought they would ever do that. Of course, they do that. I mean, it's urban legend that they do that. Uh, and it stands to... You know, what he was doing was pretty smart. For those of you who haven't seen the video, this was a video of a, of a Zomato delivery man. Uh, somebody was apparently recording him from, from his roof. Of course, he didn't know that he was being recorded. So he was going to deliver food. And he was very, very carefully taking each of those food packets out, uh, rolling up the lid on the side, uh, taking a little bit of whatever was inside it. it would, the, the, the camera didn't pick up what exactly he was eating. But he was eating a little bit of it, not so much that he would notice if he were taking delivery of it. And then he was essentially resealing them, which perhaps also says something about the quality of seals on food. And he was doing it for the first, when the video started, I thought maybe the guy, I mean, why, why are people assuming that this guy is stealing? I mean, he could have ordered it himself just because he belongs to Zomato doesn't mean he can't order food. But then you see that he's doing it to pretty much everything in his bag. So he's taking a little bit of it, resealing it, and then putting it back and taking something, another another one out. And of course, it's obvious that he's been doing this for a while. Uh, and I, we have no idea as to how prevalent this is. But if I go by common sense, I would think that it's pretty par for the course. I think it's pretty standard that this thing happens. It was not so much that act. Of course, it was gross. And, you know, for those of us who, who get food delivered, I think it's a rather sobering thought to realize that we are perhaps getting second-hand food. But what was important and what, what I think was uh, ironic was then there was there was this, uh, I read there was an article on one of those clickbait websites which have come out and there are like hundreds of them nowadays, is that that we should be ashamed of making fun of the of the Zomato guy and the fact it's, it's tragic that he lost his job. Oh, please. Uh, that, it, that, 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 yeah, yes, yeah, so that's, 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 that's the narrative that, uh, so the social justice, the social justice narrative. So let's stop here for a while, and let's let's go back to that little chestnut which which gets repeated all the time. It's a matter of consent. Okay, so we hear this word a lot. So this is not a question of a poor man having a little meal and what's the problem with that. It's the fact that he's having your food and he's having it without your consent, and that's called stealing. There are no two ways about it. So there is. There is no, how dare you fire this man and how heartless society is. This man has been caught stealing. I, arguably, it's not, 
and the justification of stealing isn't what about Nirav Modi or what about Malaya. This is like taking every uh, conversation, everything and said, think about the army men standing on the border. This has nothing to do with that. Uh, just because it is a smaller, it, it's stealing on a smaller scale doesn't necessarily mean it's any better. The fact is that this man, and I'm absolutely 100% sure that everybody who's outraging, including the clickbait website, I mean, I understand the clickbait website's objective is not that they might not even believe it, but if you write something which is contrary to what people normally think, then you get a lot of shares. So everybody knows that. So I don't, I'm not going to extrapolate that to something that that website in question believed in. But the fact that anybody would think that we can justify stealing and justify the non-consensual non pilferage of food, I'm sure everybody who's expressing sympathy for the man, I am 100% sure that if they came to know that somebody had put their saliva in their food, all of them would have thrown the food away. Absolutely. Each one of them. A stranger has put his saliva in their food. I don't think there would be any justification for the stranger. This is another strange thing that everybody is fond of doing, but we Indians are particularly expert in, which is as long as it's being done to somebody else, you can be all empathy. So it's it happens with... Um, Oh, there is there is illegal encroachment on somebody's land. And I come from a family which has actually suffered. So we, we had real estate property which was encroached by uh, CPM gundas. And they basically took our land. And so the same thing was they're, they're poor people, but they were organized poor people. True, they were poor people, but they were organized poor people. And it was our land. We bought it. And we were not rich either. So this whole question of, you know, whose food was that man's eating? Whose food was that? We don't know, right? We are assuming if this guy is a rich guy, we may, might not be. And again, that's the thing about stealing. It doesn't matter who you're stealing from. Stealing is stealing. And, and there's a larger problem here, which I agree. It's the reason why. And I had written about this a long time ago in the context of Amazon. Was that nobody in this day and age, and we can see that, is willing to pay a working man. Okay, everybody wants... And, and we've seen this over the last few years. Let's take the case of Uber. For decades, driving a taxi was a career. It might not have been a very lucrative career. I don't think anybody, when he's a child, says, I want to grow up to be a cab driver. But it was a career. It could be something which you did for years and it sustained a family. Maybe not that it didn't sustain it to a very high level, but it did sustain some. And over the years, we have found out what? that people are, they don't care, right? Nobody says when the Uber gives you, let's say, 100 rupees off of a drive, nobody says, but by doing this, I'm breaking the whole concept of taxi driving being a livelihood. Nobody does that at that time. They say 100 rupees less, I'll take Uber. So nobody is willing to pay for empathy. That was the point that I had made. They're willing to share on Facebook. They're willing to shame other people for having shared the article in on Facebook and said how you know how what lack of empathy you have. But before pointing fingers at other people, and in this case, there is no lack of empathy. He's stealing. He's been caught stealing. He's lost his job. This would happen to anyone. That it doesn't happen more often in India 
The problem is that it doesn't happen more in India that people who are caught stealing, particularly in politics and industry, that they get to keep their job. That's the that's the problem. But in this case, this is what should happen. So um, the notion again is that we as a society, and I'm, I'm not going to point fingers because I think it's all of us are responsible for this. We are not willing uh, to pay or we're not willing to do even that I had I, I, I made a Facebook status saying all those people who are sharing this clickbait article, forget paying the delivery man. Do you even when you open the door, do you even make eye contact with him? Do you ask him if he wants a glass of water? Do you even treat him as a human being? No, no, nobody treats the guy as a human being. I've seen this day and age and people say, oh, there's a delivery cost. Some <clears throat> They've attached a delivery cost so we don't need to tip the guy. Um, that's the kind of attitude that we normally have. And that is the problem. Yes, that is the problem. The problem isn't that somebody's stealing and you caught the guy who's stealing and he has been fired from his job. That is not the problem. The problem isn't Zomato doing something or the problem isn't people sharing that thing. The problem is that you, you in plural, you are not willing to pay for empathy. And corporations realize that. Corporations know that it's essentially a race to the bottom. So <clears throat> over the years, we have seen the rapid erosion of workers' rights. And I, I know that when you say erosion of worker nights, you automatically feel communism. But that's, I mean, it could be, but it also is true that worker rights have continuously, they've completely cut away at workers' rights. And that's because consumers don't, pay, don't care. I think the destruction of the taxi industry is, and it's in, in India, I think it still exists to an extent because of the lack of penetration of Uber. But in the US, the taxi industry is essentially dead and it, it died pretty fast, I would say, within five years. So we've seen repeatedly that people are not willing to pay for empathy. I think in that clickbait article, there was a mention of how fast those Zomato drivers drive because they have to make their deliveries within a certain period of time. <clears throat> well, why do they have to make it within a certain period of time? Because I think there are schemes in which if you can't deliver within that period of time, the person who's can be refused to accept the food or uh, and and that then comes out from his his salary you have a very simple thing if you feel and i feel that this shows an essential lack of empathy for working people well then don't do it don't refuse to take the food if it comes to you when you know that the money is coming out from the person's salary it's fine to return food at a restaurant <coughs> but you have to ask who is that who is that who's paying for that food that you sent back again if you're somebody who believes in the Ayn Rand concept of the world that that's fine I've paid for my food the food is not to my satisfaction I'm sending it back but if you're on the other hand shaming other people for not having empathy it becomes then contingent upon you specifically you uh, to to consider that, that when you decide, when you take these decisions, I'll send this food back or I will not accept this delivery because the guy is 15 minutes late. Or when you think, but the restaurant has already charged a service fee, why should I tip the waiter? If you have to understand that when you tip the waiter, the, the money that you tip goes exclusively to your server. While when they, when they give a, a service fee, that usually gets distributed. So distributes between the cook. So so basically the tip is going to different people. And you can understand and you can say, why don't they put it into the food? Why don't and that's what they used to do before, by the way. All those charges used to be covered in the food. 
But now with capitalism, the way it is with apps and the fact that you can compare with a few swishes of your finger and the prices that neighborhood restaurants are offering, you are taking decisions based on who's selling food, the same quality of food at a, <clears throat> at, at a lesser price. Uh, that kind of uh, choice was not available to people 10, 15 years ago. So you never there was a lack of information as to where you could get the cheapest food. And because of that, we've had a race to the bottom. And, and in capitalism, what happens? Where does that money come from? It comes from uh, those who are the weakest in the chain. It comes from their salaries. And there was another example that I had written about, which was I had found was terrible. Was uh, if in, in, in the US, if you, if you go to uh, Target and some of these supermarket chains, you'll see that uh, the people who are ringing up, uh, you know, you, you go and you pay them and, and, they, and, and they ring up whatever you paid. They're basically <clears throat> monitored continuously as to how long they take. So they're rated good, 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 excellent. So if they take too much time, then then it, it, it's it's measured. And of course, people say, but that's really the only way you can objectively apportion rewards by measuring. So then not everybody is the same. So the best get the most. But that's true. But unfortunately, this this whole system of measurement is extremely skewed. If you are the person, if you're the single person, the individual contributor, the guy stocking the shelves, or the guy who's ringing up people at the counter, your performance depends upon you, only you. And the moment you have the manager, the manager's risk is distributed. He has 10 people. So if one person's dropping the ball, nine people are more or less doing the work, you don't notice the ninth person, the 10th the person. Maybe out of a five are underperforming and five are maintaining an average, then yes then your performance goes down. But then look at the regional manager who's above the manager. He's managing 10 stores. So for everyone, their risk, the, the more you go up straight up to the CEO, your risk is basically getting distributed. And so when you are, when you are being measured, the measurements are always skewed in your favor because the risk numbers work in your favor. However, the lower you get in that chain, the more the numbers are against you, always. And this is what sometimes people don't understand when they say, you know, measurement, measurement, measurement based compensation, measurement based compensation is never, never uh, weighted uh, on based on the hierarchy of the tree in which you are embedded. It never happens. And so uh, the CEO of Zomato is not going to get penalized if, uh, let's say, 10 percent of his workforce deliver food 15 minutes late. If 100% of his workforce, then yeah, perhaps so. People will move on to Food Panda. Arnab, I was asking, how do you respond to people who say that, you know, it's cruel to have them deliver food that they can't afford? I mean, people in a BMW showroom don't typically drive the cars they sell either, right? Or am I being elitist? Absolutely. <laughs> no, no, you're absolutely not being elitist. <laughs> so then nobody can work in BMW, as you very rightfully said. Nobody can work in Boeing. I can't buy the plane, so I can't work in Boeing. This, this of, of course, makes no sense. People come there, they work. Uh, the fairness is, are you getting a fair wage according to market rates? That's where, unfortunately, capitalism comes in. And the second thing that's often not perhaps stressed enough, but needs to be, is the dignity of work. I think one of the sad things about delivery people is not just the money, sure, the money, but the lack of dignity that people afford them. I don't think anybody, I mean, just think of the way people normally deal with delivery people. They don't even look at them. They just take the food from their hands and they slam the door in their face. 
ask a delivery man, I think about 99% of his experience every day is that. But people just don't consider him as a person. I think that's a very important thing. So if you're going to start off with empathy, even if we can keep the money on the side, well, just say thank you. Um, you know, absolutely. Tipping him would be nice, but it, but at least say thank you. Look at the man; it's a human being. It's not a drone which came and just gave you a pizza. People don't even do that. But then they're absolutely fine sharing an article, which which then goes and says stealing is okay. That was my point. So what I'm trying to say is just consider the fact. And I'll be honest with with you. When when I was growing up, I never thought of you know. Delivery people, when people didn't deliver to our homes that often those days, people used to go out and get food. I mean, first of all, eating outside wasn't a big thing. I mean, nobody ate outside. But um, but over the years, as I've evolved, I, I, there was this uh, there was this uh, show that I watched. It was very manipulative in a reality show way. It was called Undercover Boss. Oh yes, I so, love it. So uh, in under very 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 very. It's very manipulative in every way. I absolutely agree. But what you saw in in those episodes, and you couldn't be helped but be moved by it. That there were so many people who work under you. You think, okay, you go to McDonald's and you go and order. You know, don't know what that guy is going through. And when you see the show, you you get to see what kind of lives some of these people live. There was this waste management guy. So waste management over here, they basically collect your trash cans. There's this guy whose job it is to dump waste in one of those landfills. And he has a kidney problem. So he has a dialysis machine stuck to him. And with a dialysis machine stuck to him, he has to run around as things like fly around garbage bags and try to, you know, try to, he has this kind of harpoon thing in which he uses the harpoon to catch like plastic bags which are flying about. Unless this guy has a dialysis machine stuck to him. I mean, it's basically there's, there's a peritoneal dialysis bag, which is underneath. So you get to see, again, is, is it, I mean, is it a startling discovery? No, it's not. But when you see that the people who serve you, uh, that the, what they go through, that real brings empathy. So, you know, if, if, if you don't bargain, you know, when you go and go to go to the groceries, don't bargain. If, if you really feel it, empathy, then don't try to undercut whatever they make. You know, if whatever they say, if you can afford it, if it's not unreasonable, give it, give the money to them. It's far better to do this than I personally think to give money to beggars. That's That might be a controversial opinion, but that's what I feel. You know, people who are doing job, who are doing work, they're, they're coming up, they're showing up every day, they're doing honest labor. In this case, the problem is the person was not doing honest labor. For people who are doing honest labor, don't try to, you know, don't try to dollar and cent them on everything. If they're asking for something, if you know that, just just let it go. If you feel that somebody has dropped the ball in a service, you know, he should have, you know, taken your order correctly. Uh, he gave you something, you, you asked for something, he didn't give it to you. Just take the thing. Don't shout at him. Don't go and complain to his manager. Don't try to get him into trouble. Understand the fact that this guy is underpaid. He's overworked. And again, if you're going to be Iron Rand, you definitely go ahead and do it. But then please don't turn around and on social media, try to foist off your lack of empathy and point it at others. That's my point. And before we go ahead to our next feature story, a quick word from our sponsor. All right, moving on. So um, a number of states, as, as, as you all of you know, and this was big news in India last week, 
went to <clears throat> their elections, state elections. And uh, while none of the results were particularly surprising, except perhaps uh, the Madhya Pradesh verdict, again, people knew that uh, the BJP was going to lose its overwhelming mandate, but they didn't know how close the race was going to be. Even though the exit polls and some of the forecasts did say that it would be very close, but I don't think anybody quite understood what very close meant in this case. And I think the other mild surprise was that BJP didn't do as badly in Rajasthan as some of the predictions had said. With the said that the Congress would absolutely blow the BJP away, even that didn't happen. So there was one good news for BJP. And I think every more or less there was <clears throat> there was everybody knew that Sivra Chauhan was possibly not coming back, but he might. Um and uh, let's let's analyze some of you know why what happened happened. So again, this is based on my understanding of Indian politics. I'm not a I'm not an expert on this topic, but this is of course based on some reading, some understanding, and um, that, that's always a caveat. I, I would like to say I I'm not I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in the local politics of the states that went to elections. I, the only state that I know the local politics very well is my home state of Bengal, which I pretty well I know I've known this for like thirty years. So. That's the only state I'm absolutely 100% confident about when I analyze it. So what happened was once, once of course, BJP did badly, much to the glee of uh, about 80% of our media, minus Times Now and Republic TV. Uh, you could almost see the joy on their faces. I read that when the election results were coming out, I tweeted some pictures of Rajdeep Sardesai, my favorite <laughs> journalist of all time. So they were... The- they were they were very very happy. You could almost see it in their in in their faces, um, and then of course there was there was the post election analysis, and there was most of the analysis that I saw was essentially the problem is that for most of our mainstream media figures, from the time that Modi won to the time that Modi and Amit Shah consolidated and expanded the reach of BJP. You can really say nothing against people who are winning, right? So even though you have your standard bucket list of complaints, and those complaints basically come from the fact that you don't agree with them politically, you can't really say that they are not being effective. So what you do is you wait till the first time they fail, and then you absolutely dump everything down and say, this is the reason why it's happening, even though much of it doesn't make sense in this specific context. So one of the things that I read was, uh, Yogi Adityanath is apparently one of the reasons for for, uh, for BJP's performance, and I think the 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 narrative that was slipped was Yogi Adityanath is is extreme right wing, and uh, this is a rejection of extreme right wing politics. There's absolutely no evidence of that in 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 any of the, and and that's what people say, and they stop at it because it's basically an assertion. I hate Adit Yogi Adityanath. So far, he's won an UP. I couldn't say anything now. They have lost something. So let's blame it on Yogi Adityanath. Now, <clears throat> in, in India, there's, and there are two things, corruption and intolerance. So the typical Indian has a rather high tolerance for both of these things. Everybody knows that politicians are corrupt to an extent and they're fine with it. Everybody knows that shit happens and people die. 
and it just sounds extremely callous for me to say it, but it's just like it sounds callous to me to say that people steal. But the Indians, you know, from experience and perhaps through their inherent fatalism, kind of recognize the fact that yehoga. Okay. So as long as the violence does not go above a certain very high watermark and the corruption doesn't go above a very high watermark, people are pretty much okay with both. In UPA2, I would say, at least the perception was, and UPA2 can say with the 2G scam that they were validated. But when the elections happened, they had crossed that line. They crossed that Lakshman Rekha of allowable corruption to kind of become like the brand name of, like, this is corruption, the UPA2 government, and to forever be associated with corruption. It's the one word that will come, the UPA2 corruption. With BJP government, the thing is that the media has tried to use, to make intolerance that word. They can't do it for corruption. They tried with Rafali. It's not working. And the reason why they had to go to Rafali is because intolerance isn't working. Okay, it, it could work in social media. It could work in the TV channels. But on the ground, this government has not crossed that watermark for intolerance. <laughs> so... It just doesn't work. So when you try out, when you turn around and say intolerance is the reason that they lost Madhya Pradesh or they lost Rajasthan, that's absolutely not true. And if you're saying that, I need to see some proof of it. So the elect Indian electorate does not care for this. Now, the second thing that I read was that Modi's personal attack on the Gandhis, uh, that turned off voters. The short of it is it doesn't matter. You see, the people who say this are upset because they love uh, the Gandhi family, essentially, and then they feel pissed if somebody attacks them. They're kind of, uh, that's them lashing out. You know, as we know, several of our media figures have been in the pocket of the Gandhis for ages. Not so much the Gandhi family, but what they stand for. And so when they, when, when Modi and Amit Shah, they go very, very, you know, with very personal attacks. Uh, on, on the Gandhi family, they feel that they're personally injured, many of these media figures, and so they wait for their term. So they can't say it in 2015, they can't say it in 2016, 2018 comes and they say, that's the reason, that's the reason. Now, this is their willful ignorance, but personal attacks have always been part and parcel of every Indian elections. Actually, nowadays, with social media, politicians are far more vigilant about what they say about their political opponents. Because I remember in the 80s and the 90s when there was no social media, you know, when you had to have political speeches, I've seen this in Bengal, in Calcutta, which is supposedly an urban and genteel place, perhaps more than any other place, very few people places in India. But political speeches are absolutely nothing but vulgar, low-level personal attacks on other politicians, Okay, which includes their personal life, their physical attributes, everything. Nowadays, with political correctness and with social media and with people recording, people can't do these in anymore. So, <laughs> you know, election speeches, the way Indian politics have often been done has been at that level. It's been at the worst level. And people nowadays, many of the media people are really willfully being ignorant of that. And many people, many of the new guys don't know what Indian politics has always been. But these people know. They have done the beat. They have listened to... Congress, BJP, everybody using the most vulgar threats, the most 
the terrible things they have been saying about other people. And this is par for the course. Again, the Indian population, the, the persons, people who vote, not people on Twitter and Facebook, they don't really care about these things. So again, these are non-issues. Now, on the other hand, what is what is again is that the that the BJP supporters kind of insistence that but the BJP didn't do badly, they won the popular vote. It's exactly exactly echoes the Democrats' refusal to accept the Trump verdict. Okay. See, the fact is it doesn't matter who got the popular vote, who got didn't get the popular vote. It's the same thing that they used against Modi, but Modi won only 39% of the vote. It doesn't matter. He won the election and he won it big. The same thing with Trump. So you cannot then clutch at straws. Democracy is democracy. The rules are decided beforehand. And you cannot then decide to try to dilute the other guy's victory. You can try to do it, but then you're basically living in your own fool's paradise. Similarly, it's blaming Nota. And then I've seen people on uh, social media saying, Dear Modiji, we do not deserve you. Okay, give me a break, man. Okay, so... But isn't that true at, at some level? <laughs> Not <laughs> no, the way they mean, sure. but... Uh, but it's the same thing. When, when when Modi was elected, people said, I mean, the other side said, I cannot believe that Indians are so intolerant and so hateful. So blaming the electorate, the same set of people who voted Modi, it's, it just doesn't make sense, right? So trying to bury your face in sand doesn't do any good. And it doesn't matter if the margins that the Congress won was low or not. The overall objective of BJP clearly articulated was a Congress Mukh Bharat and the Congress has struck back. I think everybody can accept that irrespective of what happened, the Congress has eaten into the vote share to a significant way. Even in Madhya Pradesh, sure, the election could have you know changed on a knife's edge. But whatever, even if it had changed on a wife's knife's edge and you'd actually still had Shivraj Chauhan there, the fact wouldn't have changed that Congress would have won about half of the seats where an election ago they were almost decimated in the same state. So it's important for, so summing up, it's important for the BJP opponents to stop uh, using their pet theories to explain why this happened. And it's also contingent on BJP supporters to kind of wake up and smell the napalm in the air. Um, denial won't help them. So what do I believe were the reasons? First, of, first, I think the biggest reason in these states has been incumbency. When you're incumbent at both the state and the center, that's pretty much the worst thing that can happen because it's not a question of just being incumbent at a state. Shivra Chauhan has been incumbent in the state for 15 years. The CPM in Bengal had been incumbent in the state for 30 years. But the fun about the CPM government was they could always blame the central government because the communists were never there. So whatever used to happen, Jyoti Basu said, it is the stepmotherly treatment of the Indian government, the central government in Delhi. So anti-incumbency is a problem. People use the word anti-incumbency in a very loose way. No, it's not always a problem. It's anti-incumbency is a problem if you're incumbent at both state and the center, because then you can't blame the other guy. Pretty much 90% of the Indian narrative, and again, 90% is a number I made up, is, is the state blaming the center and the state blaming the state. Uh, you understand what I meant. The state blaming the center and the center blaming the state. The problem is that BJP has been in both the state and the center for a sufficient period of time that this no longer works. So all the bad things that happen at the state 
the BJP gets rightfully blamed for it. All the bad things that are happening for the center, the BJP is rightfully getting blamed for it. On the other hand, the Congress being in power nowhere can always take the high ground. That's, that's the advantage for the Congress. It's not at any of the places. So it works as first as an advantage, as a definite advantage, and as a definite disadvantage. So the, the gap is effectively doubled. This is something which I haven't seen people actually saying. They say anti-incumbency, but it's Shivra Chauhan now has to face up to what Modi is doing. That's pretty much not happened to him before. Uh, so f- now coming back to the promises that the BJP made, like 15 lakhs in bank accounts. You know, these things have not happened. Again, does this account for the electoral defeats? No, but it accounts for the messaging that the Congress can now push for. So if you look at, and there is there is an overemphasis given on, to, on Twitter, but even in urban voters, it's WhatsApp, which is really the social media of choice. And it has emerged as a communication medium of choice for urban and rural voters both, I would say, not really Twitter. And what has happened is that the BJP has lost the message. Their message was as an anti-corruption platform. And their biggest thing was they were unable to, again, the question is the message, the overall message. People vote on emotion. Okay, They don't vote on numbers. If you open the, if you show them the GDP figures or the growth in revenue, nobody votes on those things. They vote on feels. Okay. The thing is that the failure of the BJP government to prosecute the Modi's and the Malays, and even in the 2G scam, and then combine that with the messaging on the Rafael scam, which, which Rahul Gandhi really hammered on, which was ironic, but the fact is, by being in power nowhere, Congress could pretend to be not corrupt because they didn't have power, so they were not corrupt by definition. It basically took out the plank from underneath uh, Modi's, you know, their biggest messaging, which was against corruption. So what they had to do is, you know, public memory is short. So people have forgotten UPA2 already, pretty much. At least emotionally, they forgot. So they could do that, and the Congress can't, right? And, 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 and the BJP can't. And so that's what the BJP did. They realized that what are they going to attack? So they went and started attacking Nehru at that point. Because it was the only thing that they could they could latch on to. Because that unfortunately, people made fun of it, and rightfully so, because unfortunately, Ramit Shah is now a victim of his own success. He's won everywhere. So now the balloon is at its maximum size. It is going to go down. There is no two ways about it. If by definition. Now, another thing that I wanted to talk about was, you know, the demonetization is thrown about. Demonetization has got nothing to do with this election. As a matter of fact, I've always considered demonetization. It might have been a massive economic failure, but it was a masterful political move. So for the urban middle class, the problem is they they, they like demonetization. They felt that the pain that they were going through, the pain was being amplified for those who were richer than them. So I may be standing in the line for a day, but the rich guys, they they must be even more screwed. They have black money all like loaded up to the ceiling in their places. They're going to get mega screwed by this. I'm not going to get mega screwed. I don't have that money, but they're going to get screwed. So demonetization, that expectation that those who are rich and corrupt are going to get screwed, that actually worked in favor of the BJP in the last few years. But now that the numbers have come in, and now that the Mallas and the Nirav Modis have run away, 
you just cannot, that narrative has, has flopped. Now, people have realized that demonetization didn't really change things and it didn't really make things bad for the rich people either. Whatever temporary problems they might have faced, ultimately they are doing absolutely fine. And this whole optics of, you know, this whole optics of rich people running away of the Ambani's, again, I'm saying emotion. I'm not talking about data, I'm talking about emotion. This whole thing of rich people getting richer and uh, Congress then pulling out their old, old socialist um, I'm for the poor people and farmers card. Both of these things, there's a perfect storm and the BJP has lost really the messaging that they, they basically had the messaging since 2014 during the 2G scam. They've owned the message throughout and now it's the first time they've lost the message. This is a big deal for the BJP. Now, the GST has been painful. That's true. Any fundamental rejig of the taxation system is, is painful and reforms come at a price. But the, unfortunately, the thing is, this is the time that small businessmen, which have all, who've always been formed the core of the BJP support base, are blaming the BJP. When the price of oil went down, you know, states piled on taxes to just basically aggrandize themselves and they didn't pass the benefit to the consumer. Now, when the oil went up, when the price of oil went up, guess who got the blame for that? The BJP got the blame for that. And this is exactly, I'm coming back to the same point. This is the problem when you own both the state and the center. You cannot pass the blame to anybody else. There's another one thing that I wanted to talk about, was, which was about that with respect to their communication strategy, again, this entire conversation so far is, is, is contextualized within the urban electorate. I think the wheels have kind of fallen off the BJP's communication strategy. And again, that is because communication is always driven by negativity. Okay, Communication is never positive. Whenever you try to highlight your positive achievements, you take out multi-crude advertisements in newspapers, and that never works, I feel, because it always gives ammunition to the other side. But negative communication, you know, the Papu jokes of 2014, you know, those things are past now. So the BJP hasn't been able to come up with any form of negative communication, effective negative communication. The only thing, that's why they have to go back to Nehru at this point of time. He's the only person who you haven't written jokes against. But, but the problem is, it's very, Nehru is not an emotive issue to anybody. I think people don't even know who Nehru is in many, in many cases. And in contrast, which is, I think, Congress, because they are not in power anywhere, and uh, you know, they, 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 they basically own the negative messaging space nowadays. And they're doing much better in communication that they can now, they're basically co-opting. I think one thing that the BJP has done with the BJP communication strategy, the Congress has done better is, the Congress has been able to, through stand-up comics and to people who kind of claim to be neutral, they've been able to message themselves through them. While the BJP communication nowadays come through pages like I love Namo. Okay. Uh, you cannot pretend to be neutral in that case. So all the social media figures who position themselves as neutral, they the Congress has been feeding them. You can you can see that. You can see the harmonization of Congress messaging with so-called neutral outlets. Well, unfortunately, the BJP, because, again, this is again a concomitant of them being in power everywhere and them being unable to control the negative messaging, that they have been forced to essentially take out full-page advertisements and spend an inordinate amount of, unfortunately, public money for doing their communications. Again, this is, this is what happens when you're in power. Now let's come to rural voters. Now with rural voters, the BJP performance on infrastructure has over and over, I mean, if you look at the numbers, has been fairly impressive in terms of roads, electrification, cooking, gas, sanitation. 
an impressive, impressive infrastructure development over UPA. This is good governance, okay? Unfortunately, the problem is that infrastructure isn't a big vote gatherer. Sure, when, when people get electrified, they feel an euphoria, but then it becomes part of the landscape. It's part of the baseline. It's something you expect. It's the norm now. Far better for winning elections are monthly SOPs like NREGA, okay? Guaranteed continuous income, continuous free electricity, loan write-offs. These things are ones that win elections, not specially things like infrastructure development. If you note that Rahul Gandhi made a loan write-off promise in Madhya Pradesh, he promised to implement within 10 days of coming to power. And I read that farmers held off selling yep. Farmers held off selling their produce to the government. You know why? Because if they sold it now, their price would automatically go to pay off their debts. However, if the debts were written off, then they would actually get the cash. So the hold off is massive. I mean, there are numbers which show how people have not been selling just because of the elections. Now, I would say this is buying votes, pretty much buying votes. If you vote for me, and if I become come in power, I will write off your loans. This is pretty much quid pro quo. But it's legal because Rahul Gandhi isn't in power. He can say that. The government can't say that. I think the election commissioner would then get involved if it felt that it was showing inducements because it's in power. But the guy who's not in power, he can always say anything he wants. And it's not that the Congress isn't even going to do it. I'm pretty sure they're not going to do it. Or they're not. Once they come to power, they realize they can't do it. And even Cong Congress knows it. And the BJP knew it also when they were saying that you will get 15 lakhs in your bank. They know they know they'll do it. But they're so greedy in the short term that they want to buy your votes at this point of time. And saying that there will be 15 lakhs in your bank account is a little bit of a more high-level joomla than saying that I will forgive loans within 10 days of coming to power. It's very, very immediate and very, very time-bound. And you could, be, you could be forgiven for thinking that that's going to actually happen. Now, the fact is that unfortunately, many of these problems are not really that easily solvable. I think if you look at agriculture, the productivity because of improvements in agriculture technology, productivity has risen. I mean, when you have better roads, uh, when you have better distribution systems, you know, stuff gets delivered quickly. There is more competition. Um, you, just because you have two places which are far apart and they cannot be reached by roads, when you have when, when you have good roads, then there is better competition. Goods can move from one place and to, to another place where there is demand. So, so these things happen. And what, what leads to this is a disruption in agriculture. So, so what happens is when the infrastructure gets better, productivity rises, demand stays constant, and so prices fall. And that affects the bottom line of farmers. And, you know, Shivra Chauhan government in Madhya Pradesh, they give some support in terms of procurement prices. But that doesn't, that's not as awesome as a write-off. Okay. Now, right now, I, I just read somewhere that the, the BJP now is contemplating doing a write-off because they now realize that was the problem, that they didn't at least make a, make a promise. But again, this is again the problem of being in power. It's very difficult. I'm not saying that the that BJP is fundamentally a better and more honest party than Congress so that they don't make false promises. I'm not saying that. But the problem is when you're in power, you can't, you, you can't make false promises. You're found out much more quickly. So the problem is that's a problem in far power. And that too in 15 years is that he couldn't make any irresponsible poll promise. You know, if, you ha if you're making it now, why didn't you do it before? And the Shivraj Chauhan government, as far as I know, had taken a stance that it was not going to do loan write-offs, that it was going to do... Again, Yogi Adityanath did loan write-offs, by the way. So this is not that, you know, this is fundamentally a Congress idea. So 
let's go to the some some state specific reasons and again the old chestnut of caste i don't know if you're aware of the absolutely bizarre case of ajit yogi in uh, chatisgarh are you vikram no no so for years you know ajit yogi has been the congress face in chatisgarh and you know he he, he belongs to scst so he has brought brought us you know strong strong scst vote to the congress Now you would normally think that with him breaking off and allying with Mayawati, that would kind of be the death knell for the Congress, right? Or they used to get their CSD vote; they're not going to get it anymore. Except in 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 India's fractured caste-based politics, your reason is not you know you, you, it doesn't quite work like that. It doesn't quite work that logically. The reason is that because Ajit Yogi was the face of the Congress Party, SCSTs who are in opposition. To uh, uh, sorry, OBCs who are in opposition to SCSTs, they wouldn't vote for Congress. But now, which Ajit Yogi leaving, they opened up uh-huh. those big vote banks now. Now they could put. So that's the fun. So there are two big OBC constituencies in Chhattisgarh: the Sahus and the Kurmis. And they've always been part of BJP because Ajit Yogi was on the other side. <laughs> now with Ajit Yogi gone, Congress could just take people from you know appoint Sahus and Kurmis to you know prominent places in you know, prominent positions in the party. and they could get that vote and that's really i read somewhere that's exactly what happened the congress lost their csd vote but they more than made up for that with sahu and kurmi votes and so it was pure you know pure playing around with castes that's what was going on in chatisgarh again these are the kinds of things which don't get highlighted you know it's always things like uh, intolerance do you think no, anybody cares about these things they don't care There's nobody in chatisgarh cares about what people are saying about rahul gandhi So the, the Congress actually understood this game. I mean, they, they, there's this guy called Bhupesh Baghel, who's who's Vijay Singh's man, and he's the guy who who, who actually created the strategy in Chhattisgarh. You know, strategically appointing Sahus and Kurmis who had been neglected again by the Congress because Ajit Jogi was in charge, and he didn't, you know, his caste didn't like these castes, so they never were considered part of the party. But now they could do all of these things now that the guy had left. Now in Rajasthan. I can you know this, 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 these four castes: Rajput, Jat, Gujars, and Meena. So Rajputs versus Jats. So Rajputs go to BJP, Jat goes to Congress. This is almost sounds silly. Gujars go to BJP, and Meena goes to Congress. Now the Congress over the past few years, as you have realized, as you know, with with with, with Rahul Gandhi, re, you know, finding out that he's Hindu after many years. I don't know why he's suddenly. Right. Yeah, so so this is so this is purely this is purely Rajasthan based. So you know, strong strong Hindu state. Uh, you know, he has to get that Hindu unity thing going. So now he is he's rediscovered his Hindu roots, and Congress also to an extent has swung to the right to an extent over the past year. I would say noticeably to the right, um, and basically undercutting some of some of BJP's. And and this is again the irony of being in power. If you don't build the mandir, some of the right vote is going to waver. and the congress is stepping in good move again instrument has always been <coughs> you know reservations right so you know why are these political parties so adjusted it's because they all of them are based for caste based reservations and that you know again we have to come to the fact that you know the, the sum total of all jobs is always going to be 100 it's always that some caste is going to eat into some caste's reservation and so governments keep on promising and unfortunately the problem with bjp was that the rajputs who had been there in kind of their uh, core constituency 
Jaswal Singh son, as you know, the BJP has now problems with all the old hands in Congress. They had problems with Jaswan Singh. Jaswan Singh is a very, very respected Rajput leader. So his son, Manvinder Singh, he quit BJP and he joined the Congress. And now there you have it. The Congress is now making leeways into the Rajput vote, which, which was pretty much out of bounds to them. This is the reason why seats flip. And again, seats flip, they don't flip for a, you know, that's where the numbers come in. It's not a big deal. It doesn't take a lot to flip. You know, things like one powerful satrap moving to the other party, that flips seats. Not just one, but several seats. And again, in Rajasthan, it's, you know, Vasundhara Raja has been a problem. You know, her abrasive style, overall aloofness. People have been turned off by that. Maybe she could have still won it. But Rajasthan also, that's the reason also that Rajasthan flips every every election season. I don't think Rajasthan was that big a shock to anyone. I think more Madhya Pradesh was the biggest shock. True. So, Vajundar Raja people realized, and everybody in BJP Central realized there was a problem with her in terms of her abrasive style, and Sachin Pilot and all these guys. Again, it flips. It's not a big deal. They'll get it back again. It's, it's, it's not a major thing. But Sachin Pilot, they, they, he worked a lot, you know, very gra- grassroots. Again, uh, ironic that he didn't get this CM ship despite his aggressively lobbying for it. Um, and Rahul Gandhi, like, saying, your time will come. I don't know if you saw, but when he tweeted that, he used that Leo Tolstoy's quotation, I had Leo, yeah. <laughs> posted a picture of Advani crying. <laughs> guess, what, <laughs> yes. guess, guess what, boys? If you're unlucky, your time will never come. <laughs> so, so, so don't clutch onto that straw. Look where that got me. So um, that I would believe, again, I, I haven't talked about... Uh, the other states. So these are states which, again, I kind of have followed over the years and I found them fascinating because of their caste alignments. Uh, also because I think most of us are unfortunately kind of biased towards the Hindi heartland, even though I don't belong to the Hindi heartland, but more followed politics in the Hindi heartland because the media, when we were growing up, used to f- cover much more of the Hindi heartland, even in West Bengal, than they would cover states in the south or they would cover the northeast. So we kind of grew up with understanding, uh, you know, Digvijay Singh we knew from a long time before and did a lottery scam in Madhya Pradesh. So Vapam wasn't the first, wasn't the first scam there. So again, I don't think, as you said, Vapam and all these things were not even election issues because they're all part of the... They're all part of the Delta corruption, which everybody's okay with. And Papam is a big problem outside Madhya Pradesh for Piva. It's like almost like a serial killer story. Everybody's killed. But you know, nobody, nobody seems to But nobody in the Madhya Pradesh seems to care. And it's okay to be like, why doesn't everybody care? I wish people did. I wish people did too. But unfortunately, this is considered by most people to be part of the background noise. They're more concerned about caste alignments than, you know, than... An obvious, dangerous, mass murdering scam like Vapa. So that, Vikram, what would you say? And again, it's I, I'm not, I don't know a lot about Telangana politics, so I would defer to you. Why do you think KCR is? I mean, my my hypothesis, and again, I could be wrong, is that you know it's been it's been KCR has been very, and it's a rich state also, so he's been very generous with the sops, very generous with the sops that get you votes. I think he's not, again, I think his corruption has been within that delta that's tolerated by the by the people. And I think he's been pretty much effective in whatever he does within the parameters of what Indian politics is. 
Yeah, uh, like, like you said, you know, thoda bahut corruption to chalta. I mean, we take it, like you said, we, we take it for granted, right? So I think, like you said, within, scientifically, it's within the parameters of uh, acceptance. And uh, see, the thing is, uh, apart from the fact that, yeah, uh, I think from, from from a voter point of view, it was more, more like, why fix what isn't broken? So there, isn't, yeah. there wasn't something really broken with the administration. So I don't think there was a, much of a reason for change. And more importantly, the messaging from both the opposition was not tailored uh, for here. I think because they had uh, the MP election, Chhattisgarh and Rajasthan, they they sort of stitched together a messaging there and brought the same thing, <clears throat> maybe probably even to Mizoram, which was probably the most neglected election, right? I mean, uh, I, I hardly heard anything about Mizoram, uh, which is unfortunate for most of the Northeast. Unfortunately, uh, for, again, I... Uh, I, I actually tried to understand, I mean, I, I don't know anything about Mizoram politics. I will be upfront with it. And that's why I didn't even like, analyze it because I, I just did not know. I can't, can't speak to it. Which again, it's a shortcoming on my part, but I just can't speak to it. I've never followed their history. I did that was not reported when I was growing up. So blame it on that, I would say. Oh, and what's the phrase which uh, Sardesa uses? The tyranny of distance. So <laughs> you can borrow the phrase. In this case, I'll, I'll borrow his phrase and say, actually, it is a tyranny of distance. And the, the what the other word he likes, the demagnetization of his moral compass. Now, he says the moral compass. He uses the word moral <laughs> compass a lot. I like to say, you know, the strategic demagnetization. Whenever there is some BJP comes in, there's a strong polarizing current and his magnet starts going, it just starts kind of swirling around. So uh, that's about it for today. Uh, we'd yeah, love to hear yeah. your comments. We're, we're going to have any, I don't know if you have more people have written, but you know, this is my birthday is this, this, this month. Um, I'll be having an issue. I'll be having an edition where I'll answer some of your questions. I think those two questions have been kind of been accumulating. There's one thing which I also wanted to say, because this has been an issue in the past, but the last episode we had a, you know, become an advertisement. Uh, so I have to understand yep. for those of you following the podcast, let me just tell you how the thing works. So everything that you donate on Patreon, it comes 100% to me. Okay, Patreon takes a cut, of course, a significant cut, but nothing goes to nothing goes to Vikram and their podcast gang. So they're the persons who provide me the platform for doing this. The advertisements are theirs fully, 100%, to cover their costs. So uh, just I want to clarify that because it, nobody's asked me that yet, but I'm pretty sure somebody will. Uh, because I remember when I first monetized my blog, I tried to monetize my blog. This was in 2007 or 2008 uh, with Google AdSense. There was an enormous, like, how dare you monetize your blog? Now, I think there's a <laughs> move beyond that. So I think, I don't, I, nobody said that, but I just wanted, to, just wanted to clarify that, that, you know, your Patreon contributions come to me. The advertising revenue goes to Vikram and people who put this podcast together. Yeah, yeah, a lot of costs running the software and everything. And they also spend a lot of time doing the edit. So just wanted to make that clear. Thanks for making that um, clear. And also just wanted to put it out there that this in no way will ever affect the, you know, there's no way we'll ever tell Arnab that, you know, you can't say this because of some potential conflict with the sponsor. That's never going to happen. You can write that uh, on, on a, you can write that on yes. a stone. Yes, yeah, so so that's that's you know, that that's also true. You know that that this advertisements don't 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 in any shape or form. And you will see that the advertisements, you know, even with that, you you use your common sense and realize that those advertisements they cannot influence because they they're not exactly. Often, I mean, Flipboard, we don't. We're, we're advertisers <laughs> like that. 
there's nothing in this 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 podcast which will impact them in in, in any shape or form so i think it you can use your common sense to understand sometimes it's very e- easy to see that you know advertisers do influence content i think all of us know that but in this case it's not and i would strongly resist any attempt also to resist and if there is i'll i'll i'll, I'll let you guys know also that, that, that there are some things we cannot say yeah again I, I i i can never foretell the future but i'll say that for now that there is no conflict between our advertisers again once again the advertisement they vikram and the team they don't decide the content i 100% decide the content they often don't even know what i'm going to talk about like been minutes before the the podcast starts so <laughs> the content is not dictated by them i make the content 100% your patreon contributions go to me 100% so there is already a firewall already in in place because of that it was not intentionally made but it exists yes spoken like a cyber security expert so <laughs> that's our episode for today and again like arnab said uh, you can send in your we have the ask arnab uh, special coming up so send in your questions on our twitter to him or to me or you can e- email your longer questions to appodcast@talkingstuff.net and i'll make sure that we cover all of these if you're listening to this podcast on the anchor app you can also directly send us messages right there or even send us voice messages and if you send us voice messages i promise to include them in the podcast as well so you will have the glorious uh, uh, <laughs> pleasure of listening to yourself on the podcast so feel free to do that and you can listen to this podcast using any podcast player or uh, head over to talkingstuff.net/app to listen online or for details on how to download a podcast player and subscribe to it and uh, you can also check us out on youtube at youtube.com/talkingstuffnet so that's pretty much it for this week and uh, hoping for a good uh, result to this test match uh, arnab let's see we'll, <laughs> we we might have something to talk about that uh, next week sure so uh thanks everybody for listening um and again keep the questions coming um and once again for those I, mean, i was talking about patreon just want to say we have a patreon page for those of you who want want to become monthly contributors this is the first time you're listening to the podcast you might be a little surprised as to what patreon is patreon is the, you know it's the link will be below the podcast it always is it's for those of you who like the podcast to support the podcast by making a monthly contribution to get access to it Thanks a lot and we'll see you next week. Thanks and goodbye.